And I am excited because we're starting a new marriage series today that we're calling The Vow. And I don't know if any of you have noticed, but marriage can sometimes be challenging. And there are marriages struggling all over the place, but I believe God designed marriage to be a blessing and not a burden. Somebody say amen to that. A blessing but not a burden, that's right. And so for the next few weeks, what we wanna do as a church, we wanna invest in our marriages and the lives of those who will one day be married. So that years later, those of you who are single now don't say, I wish I had known that back then. Or even worse, I wish I had known that before I got married. We want you to be equipped with spiritual truths that will enable you and equip you for a God-honoring relationship, and we wanna see existing marriages become the best that they can be. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, so don't do it, even if you want to, but most women, a lot of women, when they were younger, when they were little girls, they would imagine their perfect wedding to their perfect husband, and they would live in a perfect little cute house with some perfect little kids who had perfect little kid names. And I won't give any examples because I'll get into trouble. And I don't know if you know, but on the latter one, children's names are completely out of control these days. You've really only got two choices if you're naming children. It's got to be a completely bizarre name or it can be a normal name, but you have to spell it in a completely bizarre way. You know, it's like Steve with three E's. Like what? That's just the way naming kids works. If you're thinking about having kids, you need to start getting ready. You, if you've heard of the name, it's probably not gonna work. So you need to start thinking of something new for your kids' names if you haven't had kids yet. But that's the dream for a lot of women when, they, when they're little girls and they're, they're thinking about marriage. For men, it's a little different. For, for men, when we were young, we didn't really think about marriage because why would you marry someone who was cooties, first of all? So we wouldn't really think about marriage, but then, but then something changes around a certain age. You become teenagers and you learn some things and then you begin to have a fantasy about marriage and it generally revolves ar around having sex twice a day. And for some guys, that's, that's still the marriage fantasy. But to put it mildly, sometimes our marital expectations look nothing like reality. Men, don't say amen, don't do it. I'm looking out for you, okay, do not do it. And as we look around at our society today, we can't help but notice that so many marriages are just not working. They're just not working. In fact, it's really scary when you look at the statistics. The last time the issue was surveyed in Canada was in 2005. It's a long time ago. Wow, that makes you feel old, right? That was 15 years ago, 2005. And that study found that around 40% of all marriages ended in divorce, but that wasn't counting even common law relationships, only legal marriages. And if you live here, you know the truth that less and less people actually get married now because they just don't believe in the institution, they just don't see the point. Uh, in England, they just created a new type of civil union other than marriage, something common law, I can't remember what the proper term is, but it's basically marriage that's not called marriage because uh, marriage is misogynist. So they had to come up with a new institution for marriage. So they're doing that now in England. But in Canada, a lot of people won't even get married. They just don't see the point because it ends in failure so much of the time, 40% of the time. And that's horrifying because if you think about it, in any other area of your life, if there was something really important to you that you had a 40% chance of losing, you would take great care, put great preparation into that thing, do everything you could to protect yourself from failure. If you had children and they were going to 
have a 40% chance of dying in a car crash, wouldn't you really check their seatbelt a little more diligently? Wouldn't you maybe put, put a helmet on them? Wouldn't you maybe think like, oh, okay, maybe I should make sure that the bus driver actually has a driver's license, things like this. You'd have a very different approach. If I told you there's a 40% chance on any given day you're gonna get attacked by a bear when you go check the mail. Would it change the way you check the mail? Of course it would. You'd, you'd go out in, in full hockey gear, you'd have your bear spray, you'd be covered in bells, making as much noise as you possibly could to go get the mail. You wouldn't do things the same way. And with the odds being what they are, I would argue that the reason so many marriages are struggling is because people go into them completely unprepared, especially spiritually. No plan of how to have a God-honoring marriage. And I believe emphatically, absolutely, and completely that a great God-honoring marriage is possible, but it's not possible if we choose to follow the path that most of the world is following. That's why for the next few weeks we're going to invest in existing and future marriages and believe that God's going to strengthen the marriages represented in this room, present and future, for his glory. So as I said, we're calling this series The Vow, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at four different vows over four different Sundays. And today we're going to look at the vow of priority, the vow of priority, keeping the priorities in the proper place in our relationships. Next week... It's going to be really, really fun, really fun. You don't want to miss next week. We're going to talk about the vow of pursuit. So how do you continue to pursue your spouse after you already have them? I won't mention any of the examples, but we all probably know somebody who got married and then immediately both people in the marriage gained 20 pounds within like first year. And why is that? Because they were involved in the pursuit and then they got him. The woman's like, oh, I finally got him to marry him. And he's like, oh, I finally got her to marry me. Now I can undo the belt and go back to the buffet and get back to where I really want to be because the mindset was the pursuit is over. So now I don't really have to try. It's not a healthy approach. We're going to talk about that. Week number three can get a little bit tricky because we're going to talk about partnership. And in none of these things should any of you be hitting your spouse in the side saying, don't miss that. Don't miss that. Just don't do that. Again, I'm looking out for you. Week number three, we're going to talk about the vow of partnership. We're going to look at the difference between a covenant and a contract. We're going to look at leadership and submission. Oh, scary word in 2020, submission. Terrifying word, controversial. So we're going to take a look at that and see how that plays out in the partnership of marriage. And then in week number four, we're going to talk about something really important. We're going to talk about the vow of purity. Because wherever secrecy lives in a marriage, intimacy dies. Intimacy dies. And so we're going to look at how to live a pure life in a very, very impure world and how that relates to marriage. But today we're talking about the vow of priority. And I want to start with a very, very common belief in our world today. Your kids are taught this in most Disney princess movies, except for Frozen, which has a great twist. Not that I've seen it repeatedly, but I hear this from my friends. Kids learn this from fairy tales. They, they read love stories. And, and the common paradigm that's pushed on our culture still is that to be really fulfilled in life, you need to meet the one. The one. To have a life that has meaning, you've got to meet that, that one perfect person that just gives you goosebumps, that just smells like nobody else and, and when you get close to them the hair on the back of your neck stands up the, that person who just makes all those really cheesy love songs suddenly makes sense on the radio the one that makes you 
actually want to take time to go through the millions of greeting cards in the drugstore when it's their birthday and on and on and on I could go. And what I'm hoping is that after your message, if you believe that, if you've been taught that, you will see this a little bit differently. That if you're single, you won't be dreaming about the day you meet the one. Oh, he's adorable. He's, he's so handsome. He's so... He's so employed, he, 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 doesn't even, he doesn't even know what a PS4 is. He's the one, or, or, or perhaps, you know, oh, she's, she's so hot, she just loves worshiping Jesus. I love the way she's just so, so hot, and uh, as she's the one. It's a shorter list for guys, usually. I hope instead of saying they're the one, you'll say, I just met the two. I just met the two. He's amazing, she's amazing. I just met the two. Why the two? Because God is to be the one. God is to be the one and your spouse is to be the two. And we're not playing cute word games here just to generate a fill-in for your outline, even though this is a fill-in on your outline. This is a massive, massive paradigm shift for most and it changes everything about the health of your marriage. God is your one, your spouse is your two. Would you write that down? God is the one your spouse is your two. Your spouse is your two. And Jesus taught this very clearly when someone asked him, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? The most important. And to paraphrase his answer, Jesus said, above everything else, put the Lord above everything else. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. God comes first, people come second. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. God comes first, people come second. This is the order of priority. And so to have a marriage that really honors God, we put God first in our lives, then our spouse, number two. Now I wanna talk to those of you who are not married. I wanna encourage those of you that one day hope to be married to, to make this as your vow. Take this from your point from today. It's on your outline already. I'll seek the one while preparing for my two. I'll seek the one while preparing for my two. Don't spend your life seeking the one as a guy, as a girl. Seek the one who is the Lord and that will prepare you for your two. Get prepared for your two. Now let's have some real talk for the single person too. And for those of us who are parents, tune in because this is godly wisdom you can impart to your kids. One of the greatest tragedies that can happen is that a single man or woman grows up in a Christian home they go off to college, start partying like crazy, getting into things the Lord doesn't desire for them. Then they meet an amazing person and they think they're the one or they're the two. And this person is godly, responsible, they're focused on building a meaningful life and they think they're the one. And they have a horrible awakening when they're confronted with the brutal truth that someone like that is not looking for someone like them. And that's just the way it is. That's real life. The best way I've heard this said is this. Every single, single person who desires to be married one day should be working to, I put this quote on your outline, become the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. Now I know that sounds like a tongue twister, but it can't be said any simpler than this and it's really profound. Become the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. In other words, if you want to be married to someone one day who wants to be in great physical shape, you want them to be in great physical shape, can't be sitting on the sofa pounding Cheetos. 
being like, yeah, yeah, a hot body is like super important to me. Because that person is not looking for a person who's not in good physical shape. Now, when you get to the more important things even, if you say, I want to be married to someone one day who's passionate about following Jesus, guess who that person is looking for? Someone else who's passionate about following Jesus. That's what they're looking for. If you say, man, I, uh, I'm looking for someone who's really financially responsible because I am the polar opposite of that, it's probably not going to work out. Probably not going to work out. Or at least you have to pretend to be financially responsible long enough to get married, right? That's, that's sort of my life story. Uh, <laughs> but they're looking for the person who is like them, who cares about the same things, who is passionate about the same things. So the goal is I'm gonna seek the one, I'm gonna devote my life to God, he's my king, he's first in my life, he is preparing someone for me who I can serve him with, but he is always my one. I'm gonna seek the one while he prepares me for my two. And the way that you prepare yourself for your two is by becoming the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. For those of you that are married, this is your vow, it's on your outlines as well. God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. This comes from Genesis chapter two. Adam was alive, he was doing his thing on the earth, naming the animals, stewarding the planet, but he was lonely. There's no suitable partner for him and God looks at this, a man alone, too much free time on his hands and God says, this is not good. This is not good, this is gonna go south in a hurry. So he puts Adam in a deep sleep, if you know the story, and from his rib creates Eve. And when Adam looked at her, he said, whoa, man. That bad joke is in every pastor's library, just by the way, which is why she's called, whoa, man, woman, right there, if you didn't get it. I actually heard some delayed laughters there, so there are actually people in this room who were like, I don't get it. Eve, whoa, man, I don't, I don't, comes together, hilarious, right? In Genesis 2.24, it says, therefore a man shall do what? Leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the original Hebrew word translated there as leave means to loosen or to relinquish. In other words, when you're growing up, you're a kid, your, your most important relationship is mom and dad. But when you get married, your priority relationship becomes your spouse. Your God is your one and your spouse becomes your primary human relationship after him. But we set ourselves up for disaster when we buy into the lie that we just need to meet the one to be happy. We just need to meet the one to be fulfilled. Write this down and then we'll talk about it. This is huge, this could be a sermon in and of itself. If you believe that your spouse is your one, you will idolize them and then one day, eventually, inevitably, you will demonize them. You will idolize them and then you will demonize them. And then if God is speaking to you on this particular point, like spend some time this week praying into this, asking the Lord what he wants to show you. If you believe that your spouse is your one, you will idolize them, they will become your God and then eventually, inevitably, when you discover they're not actually God, you'll demonize them for failing to meet your expectations. You idolize them, you think, oh, oh they're amazing, they're, they're just perfect, they're everything I've ever wanted. When they're dating, the woman says, oh, I just love how laid back he is. He's so cool and laid back. Idolizes that, they get married and guess what that turns into? He's so lazy, he never does anything. 
The lawn needs to be mowed. The door needs to be fixed. This guy doesn't do anything. What you used to idolize, you now begin to demonize. Or the guy says, you know, she's so organized. I just love that about her. She's, she's so driven. She's amazing. And you get married, and then you demonize her. You say, she's going to drive me crazy. She's got every single detail of the day planned out. I need deliverance in the name of Jesus. Somebody help me from this woman. You, you idolize them, and then you demonize them because you expected them to fulfill you in a way that only the Lord can. You're asking them to meet needs that they cannot possibly meet. You're asking them to be who they are not, and that is God. You were designed, you were built, you were created to have God as your one and your spouse as your two. A lot of marriages run into trouble because we get our priorities out of whack. We, we put our spouse ahead of God, then we prioritize our kids ahead of our spouse while still prioritizing our spouse ahead of God. But you know, when, when you reach your deathbed, if you die a, a natural death and you have a little time to reflect as death approaches, everything becomes clear again. Everything becomes clear because your number one concern is where am I with the Lord? Then your second greatest concern if your spouse is still alive is where's my spouse? Are they okay? Are they gonna be okay? And then your third priority becomes your kids. Do my kids know I love them? Are they good? Everything becomes clear again, and it will if you die a natural death and have that time to reflect. Whenever anything takes the place of God or takes priority over your spouse in that second position, even something good in your marriage, even something good can damage your marriage if it takes the wrong place in the order of priorities. Perhaps some of you, I won't ask you to share stories, but, but you can think back to earlier times in your marriage and, and you can think back to decisions you made and things you prioritized that seemed so important now that you chose over family time or a family experience and you look back and you think that that stuff didn't matter at all. It didn't matter at all. I should have been there for the birth of my children. Now, that's a joke. I, I was there for the birth of all of my children. But you look back and you think, man, there were things that I really thought were important at the time. I've got to get this work done. I've got to get this job done. I've got to do this. And the older you get, as you look back, you realize, man, that, that stuff was not important. The priorities got out of whack. Those times that you, you maybe snuck in extra appointments or extra activities and you think back and you say, I, I would have rather had a little bit more time with them, a little bit more time with the kids, a little bit more time with the family. Having clear priorities is so important. Many marriages run into trouble when the first baby shows up, right? And that's upsetting to the bigger baby, dad, because he begins to feel a little bit neglected. But he doesn't know how to share that, so he just, he just pours himself into his work, and she pours herself into her child as the tensions begin to build and priorities get messed up. And, and they're not being messed up because of something bad. Children are a blessing from the Lord. They're a wonderful thing. Your child is not meant to be a higher priority than your spouse. God is my one, my spouse is always my two. And one of the hardest things to figure out in a marriage, especially as it relates to priorities, is the issue of, of jealousy, jealousy. Do you realize there is such a thing as legitimate jealousy? Some people in the room were just speaking my language right now. There is such a thing as legitimate jealousy. Well, how do we know? Because in his word, God declares that he is a jealous God. He says that he created us to worship and to know him. And when we choose to misdirect our worship to lesser things, 
God is jealous, but his jealousy is legitimate because it is rooted in love. It is rooted in a desire for what is right. It's rooted in wanting what is best for us. Worshiping anything other than the Lord will leave us unfulfilled, frustrated, disappointed, and empty. And that's not what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to be fulfilled, and he knows that that can only happen when our worship is directed at him. So his jealousy is rooted in love, which is the reason it is legitimate. In the same way, it is legitimate for a spouse to be jealous for their spouse's affections. They have a right to be that number two priority. They don't have a right to be jealous of God in the number one position, but they do have a right to be jealous of things that encroach on that number two position. And because of that, every now and then, you might have a spouse say, well, I'm jealous of the time and attention that the kids are getting when we can't even seem to find five minutes to hang out together. I know time is important with them, but it's even more important for us to have a healthy marriage. Or how about time with friends? Landmine issue in some cases. So it's not okay to be that psychopath who doesn't want their spouse to have any friends. It's not okay to be that person. What do you need friends for? You have me. Not okay, okay? It's not okay to be the psychopath who says, oh, you can have friends, you just can't spend time with them, ever. It's not okay, but it is legitimate to say, well, our lives are crazy busy right now, and we can't even seem to find an evening to hang out together, but you're able to find an evening or two every week to hang out with your friends. I don't feel like I'm the number two priority. That's legitimate. There is such a thing as legitimate jealousy. I know some people who are jealous of their spouse's phone. That's a legitimate thing sometimes. Remember, it's not always bad things that destroy marriages. It's often good things that are wrongly prioritized. Friends aren't bad. Even phones aren't inherently bad. But if they're given the wrong priority, they do bad things to a marriage. And that's why I want to give you one big thought, one simple thought, and it's this. Write this down. Protect the priorities. Protect the priorities. Listen, if you're going to get married in the future, embrace this value today. Commit to always make God your number one, your spouse your number two, kids number three. God's my first priority. My spouse is my second. If you're married today and you're struggling in your marriage in any way, I can almost guarantee that it comes back to this root issue that you're not putting God first in your life. It's not the case in every instance, but like 99% of the time, that's the issue. We're not seeking him first as individuals. We're not having a, a good relationship with the Lord on our own. That's not happening. You want your marriage to grow? Have a great personal relationship with the Lord. Serve the Lord together in church. Seek him every day. Pray for your spouse. Center your family around the word of God. Put them first and then make sure you both prioritize each other as number two. So let me get real practical. We love our kids. We just, we just love kids and we homeschool our kids. And when I say we, I mean that my contribution was saying I agree that we should homeschool our kids. We do a lot together as a family. and we're, we're around each other a whole lot. But there are regular times during the week when Charlene and I are, are hanging out together, whether we're watching a show or we're eating dinner together without the kids. We're just in the same room and it's time for just us. Kids can't come and hang out with us too. They got the whole rest of the house to hang out in. And those times just help, help Charlene and I feel connected, feel connected. 
We actually enjoy hanging out together. So we don't, we don't dread the day when the kids leave the house because we actually enjoy each other's company. We have a relationship and a friendship outside of the task of raising kids together. We're gonna be okay. And here's what you need to understand and remember. Raising children is a temporary assignment. It's a temporary assignment. We will have them for 18 or 19 years unless they wanna buy real estate in Vancouver, in which case you'll probably have them for 30. And I know, and I know and I believe that you're always mom and dad. You're always praying for your kids. You always have a role in their life. But raising kids is a temporary assignment. Your marriage is till death do us part. Your marriage is till death do us part. It's not until we're not happy anymore or until you're not meeting my needs anymore or until something better comes along. It's till death do us part. Your marriage is a permanent God-honoring commitment and that's why it has to be prioritized above the children. It has to be. And we've all seen it. Families who prioritize the kids over the spouse, the kids leave home and they realize they're married to a stranger because they haven't had a relationship with them for 20, 22 years. They've been so focused on the kids. Your marriage is meant to be till death do us part. You gotta prioritize that above the children, even though the children can complain more loudly for your attention. Your marriage is a permanent relationship. That doesn't mean we don't feed our kids or bathe them or put clothes on them. It just means that they're not our number two priority. But hear me on this too. This is why I say that. If you want your children to succeed in marriage, they've got to at least see what a God-honoring marriage looks like. They've got to see it. As always, everything about following Jesus comes back to John 15 and what Jesus said about abiding, about resting, about staying in relationship with him. And anytime we talk about anything practical, really practical, I love to go back to John 15 because something in our nature loves to just say, oh, I gotta make a list of all these things I gotta do. That's our tendency. I'm gonna have a good marriage because I'm gonna do these five things. But remember John 15, five, the key to the Christian life. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The reality is that we can't just flick a switch and be what our spouse needs, even as their number two. We, we can't just will that into existence. We need the anointing and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So out of our own relationship with the Lord, he empowers us to be the partner that our spouse needs. It's not about making a list of, of to-dos and saying, if I do these things, I'm gonna have a good marriage. It's not that simple. A great marriage flows from a great relationship with the Lord. And as the Lord is working in your life, you will naturally begin to discern and have conversations about your marriage that will make it better. You'll be able to discern each other's needs more easily. In other words, just as a healthy marriage is the best thing you can offer your kids, a close relationship with Jesus is the best thing you can offer your spouse. When you have a good marriage, that trickles down to your kids and, and their well-being enormously. When you have a good relationship with the Lord, that trickles down to your marriage and affects it enormously. If you wanna bless your spouse, have a solid relationship with Jesus because he's the source of the grace and the patience and the energy that's needed for a good marriage. You can't keep Jesus as the priority in your marriage if he's not the priority of each spouse individually. It just won't happen. So write this down. The best way to bless your kids is by having a solid marriage 
And the best way to bless your spouse is by having a solid relationship with the Lord. The best way to bless your kids is by having a solid marriage and the best way to bless your spouse is by having a solid relationship with the Lord. Men especially, dads, husbands, I want to charge you, I want to exhort you to protect the priorities in your family because it's your job to be the protector. And you already are. You're already wired that way. You know how I know? Because if there's, a, if there's a strange noise in your house at night, I know you're the one hopping out of bed in your tidy whities to go wrestle a tiger, a burglar, or whatever the heck else might have just broken into your house, right? You've got your golf club, your baseball hat, your uh, hardcover study Bible, or whatever your weapon of choice is, and you're ready to go. You, you have no clue what you're actually going to do if there's somebody there but you know that they're gonna to have to kill you to get to your family. Why? Because you're the protector. You die for your family, you die for the ones that you love. Even more difficult though, God has called us to live for the ones that we love, to live for the ones we love every single day, to give our best, to lay down our lives for two things, for Jesus and our wives. Protect those priorities. In fact, I, I just love the teaching of Paul in Ephesians 5. It's the quintessential marriage teaching. You're probably familiar with it. He says, husbands, here's your calling. Love your wives. Love your wives. That's your calling. Love them, serve them, honor them. Love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself for her. Laid down his life for her. How do we do that? By protecting the priorities at all costs. And here's what I know because I'm a man, talk to other men. Here's what I know. I know that for a lot of men, we feel overwhelmed, we feel unqualified, we feel inadequate for the task of leading our family. We wish that someone would just show up and tell us what to do. What's the right thing to do? Make the decisions for us. And no, ladies, if you're thinking, I can tell you what to do, that's not helpful, okay? That would lead to the best possible outcome. But I really believe the, these feelings are intended to drive us to God, to ask for help. They're designed to drive us to our Heavenly Father for guidance because we're not meant to be going through this process with our own wisdom. We're meant to look at the task of leading a family and say, I'm inadequate for this task. Lord, would you help me? And then the Lord comes along and we do it with him as a project with him. And he says, yeah, in me, you're more than adequate. You've got everything you need. You're completely equipped. The two things we need to understand as leaders of our families are that, number one, it's on us. It's on us. God called us to lead our families. There's nobody else coming, okay? He's not sending anybody else. There's nobody else who's going to knock on the door with all the solutions to all of our challenges. It's, it's on us. But the second thing we need to remember is, as I said, we're not meant to do it alone. There is a helper, the Holy Spirit, and if we turn to him for help, will find the strength and the wisdom that we need to lead our families in marriage as well. Because on our own, we, we are. We're completely inadequate for the task. But through Jesus Christ, we're more than conquerors. As a couple, you've got to stay connected at all costs. All costs. And practically, that means you've got to find a way to talk regularly in an environment where you're actually focusing on each other. To be clear, that means that the kids can't be running around and trying to hug one of your faces while you're talking to your spouse, okay? That can't be happening. To, to be clear, contrary to what you tell your spouse, you cannot be on Facebook or Instagram while listening to them as well. 
You're going to end up in a compromised position because your spouse is going to say, well, what do you think? And you're going to realize you didn't hear anything they said before the question, what do you think? And you're in a, a, a real situation there. This is focused time with each other where you're just listening to each other. Fortunately, you can still eat food during this time, which is a great thing to do. It'll help you not to interrupt them as well. Just eat food. So when Charlene and I are talking, when we're talking, the kitchen door is closed. If a kid knocks, they're like, Mom, Dad. Well, let's be honest, like 99% of the time, it's Mom, Mom. The question we always ask back is, is someone in imminent danger? No? Okay, then go away. That's what we do. Go away. Mom and Dad are talking. We really do that. And the reason we do that is because our children have to learn that mom and dad talking is really, really important. It's really, really important. Us connecting, us communicating well is really, really important. It's more important than whatever little issue they have right now. If you can't afford to go out for date night, because that's what you'll hear a lot in, in a lot of things. You've got to have a date night. You've got to have a date night. Not everyone can afford to do that. Can't afford to go out, get a babysitter. Then stay at home and drink a cup of coffee together and just talk. Just hang out in your living room. Close the door. Hang out in the bedroom. Close the door. It's not about going out and doing something. That's not what it's about. It's about connecting. Here's why. Write this down. Because if you don't talk, you can't have intimacy. If you don't talk, you can't have intimacy. You just can't. It's absolutely inevitable. If there's a couple that's not talking honestly, frequently, it's not a high degree of intimacy in the marriage. Don't don't even need to ask them. If you just told me that about a marriage, it's a near universal principle. It really is. If you don't talk, you can't have intimacy. There's always going to be excuses. Always. There's always going to be things you need to do. There's always going to be distractions. To make this happen, you're going to have to just leave some of that stuff. Hey, this thing needs to get done, but, but I'm, I'm walking away from it because this is actually more important. You've got to protect the priorities. Lock the door. Let the kids watch TV. Give them Benadryl. Find a way to make it happen, okay? Find a way to make it happen. Love finds a way to make it happen. So that is the one practical thing I'm going to really encourage you to do. Um, those of you who are married, make sure that you're talking. Make sure that you're talking. And if you have the space in your life that you're just talking every day and there's not those distractions, man, that's great. But the busier your life is, the more intentional you have to be about talking and having times to connect. It doesn't have to be profound. You just have a drink, sit down, talk together. Make it happen. 30 minutes even is a huge, huge deal. But make sure you don't go through these long stretches where you're not connecting, especially because there's just so much stuff going on with the kids. Let me tell you what's happening in that situation. The kids are number two. You know you need to be connecting as a couple and you're not because the kids are number two. You're number three. Your marriage is number three. So when something needs to get deferred, when something needs to get pushed, mom and dad defer to the kids' needs. Got to keep the marriage as number two. Got to keep your spouse as number two. Protect the priorities because it's true, you're never going to be fulfilled in life till you meet the one. Till you know the Lord, you will not find fulfillment. You're designed to find fulfillment in the Lord as your one and your spouse as your two. That's the foundation of a great life, a great marriage, and a great family. So with that, let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?
Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the wisdom of your word. Thank you for the practical help of your word, Jesus. And thank you for making it clear how we can have a good marriage, how we can have a strong family, how to order our priorities, Lord. It's not a mystery, but Lord, it is difficult. It is difficult because we know that we have an adversary who hates to see strong Christian marriages, who hates to see families rooted and focused around the Lord. And so we have an adversary who seeks to fill our lives with distractions, competing interests, not bad things, good things put in the wrong order of priority. So Father, I pray that you would help us to take the counsel of your word deeply into our hearts this evening. And if there is something we need to adjust, Lord, give us the boldness to do it. If we have to change something radical, help us not to be overwhelmed by the pressure of the world, to not look at what everyone else is doing and say, well, well, everyone else is doing this. Help us to say as Joshua did, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we're doing. I don't care what anybody else is doing. We're doing things the Lord's way. He's our number one. The marriage is number two. The kids are number three. Father, I pray you would give us wisdom to know how to implement that practically in our lives. Help us not to just come up with our own plans and solutions, but Lord, right now, would you help us to listen to what you want to do in our families. Lord, to partner with you in what you want to do in our marriages, what you want to do in our children, because you're already working in them, Lord. Help us to hear and see the work that you're doing clearly and then get on board with it, Jesus. Father, we pray you would bless every marriage and every family represented in this room. Father, we pray that if there are issues that need to be talked about, you would bring them to light. You would give boldness to talk about them. If there are things that need to be forgiven, Lord, would you release grace to cover those things? There's going to be communion available in our coming time of worship. I encourage you to take it and just remind yourself of the grace you've received from the Lord. You know, the more we focus on the grace we've received from the Lord, the easier it is to give grace to other people because we realize no matter what, we're not getting a fair deal. We have been given so much more grace than we will ever be asked to give out. And Father, I pray for confidence as well, especially just for every dad who feels unqualified to lead his family, ill-equipped. Lord, would you as our heavenly Father just speak confidence into anyone who's in that place, Lord. Remind them that because you're with them, they're more than conquerors. They're more than enough because you're with them. You're working. Father, we pray as well for, for every wife, every mom in this room who might feel ill-equipped, inadequate in any way. Father, we just thank you in the name of Jesus that they are in their family because you put them there, Lord. They were placed there intentionally with a purpose to be ministers to their children, Lord. Co-ministers with their husbands. It's not an accident, it's a calling, Lord. We thank you for that affirmation this evening. Lord, we love you, and we just want to open ourselves to you and, and ask you to speak to us if there's anything you want to say, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. 
When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.